Welcome back, everybody. Today, I'll be talking about a classic horror film called Carnival of Souls. Carnival of Souls is a 1962 independent horror film produced and directed by Herc Harvey and written by John Clifford from a story by Clifford and Harvey. It stars Candace Hillegoss as Mary Henry, a young woman who survives a car accident. She relocates from Kansas to Salt Lake City where she finds herself unable to assimilate with the locals. She becomes drawn to the pavilion of an abandoned carnival and stalked by a ghoulish stranger who I'll be calling throughout this analysis the white-faced man. And this uh, ghoulish stranger was actually portrayed by the producer and director, Herc Harvey. And before I get into it, I'm going to do another spoiler alert because I'm going to be talking about everything in the film, um, all the, the whole plot, the twist. So proceed with caution if you haven't seen it and you want to watch it. Um, so a, a bit of a backstory about the film. It was shot on a very small budget and it wasn't a very popular film when it was released, but has since found a cult following from being shown on late night TV, which is how I saw the film. Um, I was up late one night in my dorm in college when uh, this film came on. I think it was on AMC. And it quickly became one of my favorites. It's definitely one of the, the movies that I like to watch during Halloween. And I know that I said I wasn't going to, you know, after October, I wasn't going to, like, do that many horror movies anymore. Or I wasn't going to do, like, back-to-back horror. But I just want to do this one more, and then I'm going to try to mix it up with the genres as I go forward. I, it was kind of hard to put this, to break this film up into, like, reoccurring things, because there's only one major theme and it's death (laughs) it's just different different elements or different parts of the death process but the overall theme is death but I tried to like break it down into I guess the different parts of death so the first section is it's death water and the soul and so I combine those two because the the themes and the films surrounding death are um, they're mostly dealt with or they're mostly told from a Western Christian perspective. So that's the point of view I'm gonna be going going in when I'm discussing this. And death, water, and the soul—it's all related. You know, death, you die. And water being sort of like the baptism and the the idea of being reborn. And that sort of happens when you die if you believe in the afterlife. You're sort of re, you know, reborn again. And of course the soul, if you believe in death and being reborn and the afterlife, then within all of that, you have to have a soul. So those are all like together in one group. The next one is the transition to the afterlife. That's kind of self-explanatory. Uh, she, this whole movie is is about uh, Mary trying to make the transition. And the the third theme, death, the messenger, and it's just mainly talking about the personification of death and this particular personification being sort of a a messenger in a way. And also within this topic, I explain my whole theory behind this movie. And I don't know if it's what they were intended. And I don't know if other people thought this too, but that I'll just do like, this is my theory. And then the final one is just other symbols, um, there were just some weird things that I didn't, I don't know if they were important, but I didn't know where else to put them, but I did want to mention them because I 
thought they were really important. And I'm just gonna get into it after that, all that. So the first, the first one, the first theme is death, water, and the soul. So as I said in the synopsis, the main character, um, so she's the lone survivor after a car accident. She was a passenger and she was in the car with two friends. I don't know, they were driving somewhere and this other car pulls up to them um, at the stoplight and challenges them to a drag race. And Mary's friend, she accepts the challenge and her and this this other car start racing. And then when the cars, they get on the bridge together and I guess the bridge is too narrow or something. And the car that Mary's in falls off, goes off the bridge and into the river below. Mary is the survivor in the car. Her other two friends die. After the accident, she leaves Kansas um, and she goes to Salt Lake City. And she stays in the boarding house with um, the landlady, Mrs. Thomas. And there's one other um, tenant there, and his name is John Linden. And he's, ugh, I hate his character. He's sort of a creep, almost verging on like Predator. Uh, but those are the sort of the main characters. There's also a minister that reoccurs in the film, and there's also a doctor that um, appears in the film. So water is part of within this theme subject of death. And the first time that water was used was when Mary, when the car went off the bridge into the river and they're all like, you know, there's people that came there and they're trying to help and they're looking for the car to sort of pull it out of the water and get the people out of the water. They think everyone's dead. And then Mary steps up out of the water and she looks a little disoriented, but physically she looks fine. And she's the lone survivor. Everyone's like, oh my God, Mary Henry. And the the act of coming, you know, emerging out of the water of the river reminded me of rebirth through water in the form of baptisms. Um, water is used in another scene when Mary visits the the carnival, the pavilion, the abandoned pavilion that was mentioned in the synopsis. Um, she sees the white-faced man and some other ghosts. They emerge out of the water just like Mary did after her accident. It's also related to the transition of like I said earlier, of rebirth and going into the afterlife and sort of making that transition. But I don't want to get I don't want to get ahead of myself. So I'm just gonna keep going. When it comes to the other part of this subject and when it comes to death, also um the soul. Like I said, I group these these all these three together because of the Christian notion of you know, all of these things are being related. All of these things are being prominent components of the faith and part of a whole process of death. You know, you have a soul, you die, you're reborn in the afterlife. Like, it's a process. There are several instances throughout the movie where Mary's soul is referenced. Um, before she leaves Kansas, the minister at the church where she works mentioned that she should put more of her soul into her music. When she's talking to John, the creepy neighbor, Mary says that church is just a business. She's a professional organist. She simply sees playing uh, playing for the church as just another job. It's a soulless act for her. And she's just, this is what she, she's, she's an organist. She plays the organ. That's That's it. There's nothing more to it. Um, she doesn't seem religious, and uh, the minister in her Kansas town made a comment that he sort of expected her to have more to found faith after surviving the accident. And he also comments that if she has a problem, it'll go right along with her. So that suggestion of that 
kind of feeling that she's she's running from something and there's another reference and it, it happens again he asks if she's going to um visit her parents before she leaves and she's like no I'm just gonna drive straight on through and so she's like in this hurry to get to this this new town and sort of quote unquote I guess start over um but you get the feeling she's she's running from something she's trying to escape it sort of you know you know questions it not questions it sort of makes the transition into like the next subject that I'm going to talk about but before I get into that the minister in Salt Lake City mentions put your soul into it a little bit um she goes into a trance and starts to play this weird music the minister calls it profane and sacrilege he um also mentions again that she she lacks uh she lacks soul and i think it's all in reference to the bigger picture of what's really going on and that her being in the water and dying and sort of having to make you know when you die you're supposed you know you have a soul and you die and you're supposed to make this transition be reborn into the afterlife but her soul is i'll just say that her soul is not where it's supposed to be it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing and so early on these mentions of the soul over and over again is sort of a making reference to to something's not right like the process you know it's supposed to go in a certain order and things aren't going in that order so on to the next um subject of the transition it's called transition to the afterlife and so <laughs> the uh, as i was kind of alluding to earlier my personal opinion on the movie the whole film is actually mary trying to make this transition into the afterlife or her she's supposed to make this transition to the afterlife but she's not uh she's not she's not going she's refusing to go and i don't think it's out of stubbornness i think it's more so out of confusion trying to understand what's happening and what's going on and why her memory or her consciousness is off and things aren't as they normally would be if she was alive um so she is throughout this movie <laughs> trying to, she's trying to be ushered into the afterlife to make the complete process and make this transition but her soul is in her conscious consciousness is out just running amok and having this little venture in Salt Lake City and seeing all this crazy stuff experiencing all this crazy stuff so her soul isn't at the point in the process where it's supposed to be cuz it's it's confused and it's it's just out running around so from the very beginning i mean even before the accident happened when they were like racing um there was something about Mary I don't know if it's her personality or just like her on the the actor the actress's on-screen portrayal she just seemed really off and like her expression seemed odd and she seemed a bit detached and so I I don't know if that was how she's supposed to be I mean I I I lean towards that's how she's supposed to be but there are times when it was just I don't know it felt a little bit over the top and that it just didn't seem like she was there but it also it, I feel that it goes well with the movie I just her character just seemed I don't know her expressions were like just a little weird to me like just kind of I mean the character herself was a little creepy to me but I mean you could just explain that away as that's part of the character that she's playing. She's a little weird. She's a little off because she's confused and she doesn't really know or remember what's happened to her or what's going on. And other people in the movie also comment about it too. So that's why I kind of think like maybe this is part of the whole character. The Mr. Linden guy, the creepy neighbor, the ministers, she comes off as very cold and distant. She says she likes 
being alone and doesn't want to socialize with other people. I also feel that this is a way of Mary's soul or subconscious saying that basically that she doesn't want to make the transition to the afterlife. And I mean, she's not like purposely doing it. I think it's more so, like I said, out of confusion. But either way, she's not trying to go wherever these people are trying to make her go. And uh, just some more about her personality that I wrote down in this analysis was that she seems very standoffish, um, unfriendly, introverted, private, um, very non-conforming, and that makes her seem very odd compared to the other people, especially in 1960s, you know, Midwest America. Um, you know, you're supposed to assimilate and you're supposed to be conforming and you're supposed to blend in and be like everybody else. And I, I think that goes sort of back to, and you know, maybe this is part of her personality when she was alive, but just sort of definitely not wanting to be the norm and sort of make this smooth transition and follow each step towards the transition after life like she's supposed to. And so she's, I mean, this is a part of her, you know, her living personality. She's still, you know, even in this in-death effect, um, not wanting to be, follow the rules and go along with everything. A Another way that Mary is refusing to make the transition is when she leaves Kansas and like I, I think I said this earlier, when she leaves Kansas and she doesn't plan on stopping and visit her parents. So like I said, she's obviously running from something and literally, you know, you get the sense that she's running, but then like literally she sort of like flees town in a hurry. I think they said it was like three days after the accident or something. And she flees town and she goes to this new place and refusing to make this transition. I mean, she could have stayed, you know, her subconscious could have stayed in Kansas, but she flees there to go to Salt Lake City. And even in Salt Lake City, she's fleeing throughout this movie. And as I said in the synopsis, the white-faced man is, is he's always there. He's, he's stalking her. He's everywhere. Um, one day when Mary is shopping, um, there's this constant beeping sound. It sounds like an old doorbell. It just, it's like a, a repetition of this sound. It's just over and over and over. And it's like, it's really annoying. You know, it's like someone constantly pressing the doorbell. It's like beep, 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 beep over and over and over again. So this happens when she's in the store and she's like, you know, she was talking to someone. She goes into the dressing room to take off the dress that she was trying on. And this beeping goes on. I remember reading somewhere that the sound of a bell was a symbolic sound of recollection. And so I Googled and found that uh, one of the references that I found was that in Hindu faith, the sound of the bell is considered auspicious or favorable, which welcomes divinity and dispels evil. The sound of the bell is said to disengage, to disengage the mind from ongoing thoughts, thus making the mind more receptive. Bell ringing during prayer is said to help in controlling the ever-wandering mind and focusing on the deity. Um, also, bells signify the beginning or the end of things, an emergency, or a wake-up call. Um, and and I... I you know, even before while I was watching the movie, because I didn't look this up while I was watching the movie, I did it as I was writing up the analysis. But this this sound follows a very uh, important, significant scene in the movie. You know, when I did a quick Google and found this, it sort of relates back to Mary and her trying to make this transition. So it's trying to tell, you know, like it's like, the beginning and the end, you know, hey, this is, this is a turning point. Like this is important for you. So you need to, um, you know, start making this transition. 
you know, an emergency, a wake up call. So it's trying to alert her to make her pay attention that things aren't as they seem. She's out here trying to shop, like everything's normal and and you know, her this subconscious is like, Hey, no, you need to pay attention. And then also the reference of it being um welcomes divinity, um, to disengage the mind, to to not wander like her wandering around trying to go shopping and stuff instead of, you know, focus, you know, you need to make this transition. Let me not get off track and discuss that too much. But back to why, you know, why this particular scene was important. So this is the first time Mary has this really weird experience. And it's where every everything goes silent around her. And the people that are around her in this store can't see or hear Mary. There's literally no sound in the scene, but Mary like trying to talk to these people and get their attention. But it's as if she's invisible and they 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 don't acknowledge her, like they can't see her. And my first impression immediately was that Mary was dreaming in this scene. But my belief is that she wasn't, I mean, it wasn't just this, she was dreaming in this particular scene, but sort of like the whole event was sort of like her subconscious dreaming or her soul dreaming. But I'll go a little bit more into that later. So she's having this this episode in the store where nobody can hear and no one can see her. They, It's like she's invisible. So she runs out of the store and she's like panicking because, I mean, that's obviously unnerving. That's scary to have that happen. So she's running through the, you know, the town and she's trying to get people's attention. Nobody seems to acknowledge her. Um, she finally stops underneath a tree and she's leaning against the tree. And that's when she hears a bird singing and the silence is broken. And then the sounds of the town and the cars and the people walking all sort of come back and you know the silence is broken she sees the white-faced man during this time and she freaks out and that's when she is running away from the white-faced man she bumps into this guy and he's trying to get her to calm down and relax and he tells Mary that he's a doctor and that his office is nearby and they um, go into his office and Mary um, confides in him that she doesn't feel that she feel that she doesn't exist that she has no place in the world and then the doctor tells her that because she's told him about the white-faced man so the doctor tells her that the white-faced man is you know just a part of her imagination and that he believes that the white-faced man you know could be a representation of guilt Mary's told him about the car accident how she was a lone survivor so he's like maybe this is the guilt that's plaguing you and it's followed you from Kansas to here so she's seeing the white-faced man multiple times, different places throughout the town. She finally decides to leave after she sees him in the mirror of her apartment. She packs up and she leaves town. Um, she stops at a garage to um, get her car checked before she makes the trip to wherever she's going. I don't know where she's going. She has this episode again. At this point in the film, when she has the the second episode, and she's sitting in the car, she starts to hear where it sounds like someone's approaching her car. And so she freaks out because she thinks it's the white-faced man that's coming towards her car. So she gets out of her, she gets out of her own car. <laughs> it's like, how are you gonna leave? And you just take off, run out. Of, she leaves the garage, leaves her car behind, and she's running down the street, and she goes to like a, a bus station, I think it is. And she's inside the bus station. And I think, if I remember correctly, that's when she starts to, uh, the sound starts to fade away. And then people start to ignore her and they don't see her. They can't hear her. And she really starts to panic. So she's at the bus station in the little terminal running around trying to get a ticket, giving them money, but they can't hear or see her. And then she runs to where the buses are loading and <laughs> and she tries to stop the bus and she like she can't stop the bus. She goes through a gate 
she runs up on a bus with the door open. She gets inside the bus thinking like, okay, I'm going to get in this bus. This is going to take me somewhere. But in the in the bus, everybody's in there are these white-faced ghouls. Their faces painted white. They have black paint around their eyes. They're just all these crazy-looking people in the bus. And so she freaks out. She runs out of the bus. And she ends up, I guess, like in the town center uh, where she was the last time, the first time when she had the episode where everything went quiet. And she's leaning against the tree again, and then she hears the birds. Um, she hears the birds singing again, and then the sound comes back. And so she's in the same spot where she was the first time when the same thing happened. And so she goes to the doctor, and she's talking to the doctor. And it shows her in the doctor's office talking to him. The doctor has his back turned, and she's she's talking to him, and um, she's you know telling him all this stuff. And when she finishes, she she turns around and to look at the doctor and then the doctor turns around. When he turns around in his chair, it's not the doctor. It's the white-faced man in the chair looking crazy and staring back at her. She freaks out. Plot twist. She wakes up. She's in her car, still sitting in the garage. So it's like a dream within a dream. Because, you know, my theory is that this whole movie is a dream but she's like having a dream within a dream which I mean I I can understand why her soul is confused because she falling asleep in a car and having a dream while her soul was having a dream it's crazy um so so I mean it's all a dream so I mean it doesn't really matter if the dream is within a dream but the overall theme is Mary trying to escape, you know, escape Salt Lake City after she's escaped Kansas City for Salt Lake City and then trying to escape Salt Lake City. She's refusing to make this transition. Um, And death is pretty much telling her no. Like, you know, she runs out of the garage. She's like, okay, well, if he's coming for me in my car to come, you know, get me, then I'm going to go to the bus depot. Well, death is like, nope, I'm going to turn the sound off. They can't hear see you, so you can't can't get a bus. So she's like, okay, well, I'm just going to run on the bus and get on and go wherever they're going. Death is like, nope, because everyone in the bus she gets into, they're all ghouls, they're all ghosts, phantoms, whatever. And so she literally can't leave. And then as to make it even more obvious that she can't leave, she needs to make this transition, she wakes back up and she's back in her car again. Like, she's never went anywhere. At this point, she wakes up. She doesn't get her car checked out. So she just takes off in her car. He's knocking, making all kind of noise, but she's just like, I'm just going to go. And she, she, she's just driving. And I guess it assumes she's going back to Kansas. I don't know, because... She ends up back at the carnival with the the white-faced man. So she returns to the the carnival. And, you know, like I said, the white-faced man, the other ghouls are there. She sees the ghouls dancing. And then within the crowd, she sees herself as a ghoul with the white makeup, black circle around the eyes, looking all disheveled. She sees herself in the crowd dancing as a ghoul with the white-faced man, literally dancing with death. She freaks out. She takes off running. The All the ghouls, the white-faced man, they all start chasing her. They chase her out into the dried-up lake that's surrounding the, the abandoned carnival. They sort of crowd around her and, like, attack her, and then... That's it. And then the next scene is the police, the doctor, um, the minister. They're all out there at the carnival um, on the old the salt bed where the dried up lake was. They're looking down at these footprints in the in the mud. And they're like, it's just one set of footprints. And they abruptly end just out in the middle of this, you know, the middle of the dirt as if she just 
poof, disappear and vanish into thin air. Then the final, the final scene, the end of the movie is a scene back in Kansas at the location of the crash. And by this time, the car that Mary and her friends were in have been located. They're pulling the car up out of the river. As they pull the car up out of the river, you look inside and you see Mary in there dead with the other two passengers. That's the end. So she is dead back in the car. You know, like none of this happened. Okay. This is going to bring me to my, my theory and, um, second to last theme subject, which is death as the messenger. So I'm just going to really just kind of just go into my theory of what I think is going on. Okay. So I, okay. So (laughs) throughout the film, like I said, Mary is stalked by the white faced man. His face is painted white. He's got black paint around his eyes, just like a stylization of a skeleton where the black paint around the eyes represents the hollow eye sockets of a skull. He's he's not wearing a cloak like a black, you know, hooded cloak, and he's not carrying a Sith, but he's the personification of death. He's actually wearing a black suit and a black tie with the white shirt. But I still, you know, the fact that his face is sort of painted like a skeleton. He is the personification of death. And he's come to collect Mary's soul. She's out here running around trying to play an organ in the church, trying to go shopping, trying to live her life. And, the, you know, the white-faced man, the Grim Reaper is like... Death is like, no, I'm, you know, you need to come with me. And um, like I said earlier, this is why several references from the ministers when they talk about, you know, Mary's soul, because they're like, he's coming from Mary's soul. Mary, her soul is out here running amok and you need to go with death. She's found dead in the car. So she's obviously can be alive and in this town playing piano. And, you know, like I said, she's dead the whole time and her soul trying to make sense of what happened. So death is trying to find her and collect her soul. And because her soul is so sort of disoriented and trying to make sense of the of what's going on, her soul sort of dreamed or created this scenario in it's confusion using places, things, and scenes that are familiar to Mary. Um, that's why in the film she plays the organ like she did in real life. Um, she's playing, you know, at a church. She's, you know, sort of has the same personality that she had when she was alive. And I think that the carnival, I don't think that really has like a major, a major point. I think that that might have been something that was also familiar to Mary. And so that's like in her, this dream thing that she's having. I think a lot of these places, well, I don't know if all the other places, but especially the the carnival, because it just seems like out of place. Like what does the carnival mean in the, the grand scheme of, you know, death and transition and afterlife? I didn't, I, I mean, I didn't really find a meaning to that. That's why I think it's one of the familiar elements that was used by Mary's subconscious to create this scenario. Going back to, you know, death is the messenger and that the white-faced man was the personification of death. I also think the other main characters were also personifications of death. The landlady, the creepy predator neighbor, <laughs> the definitely the minister in Salt Lake City, I don't know so much about the minister that was in Kansas, but definitely the minister in Salt Lake City. They were all trying to to reason with her in some way. The Reaper is a personification of death that can transform into other personifications of death. That's what I read. So I figured that if he can transform into, you know, somebody that's, you know, the white-faced man, he can transform you know, transforming, she can be a landlady, he can be a creepy neighbor, he can be a minister, he can take different, or I shouldn't say he, 
um, death can take different forms. And when I was reading about different versions of the Grim Reaper in different regions and religions, and they said sometimes it can be a man and sometimes it can be a woman. So it, I just... I just felt like they kind of, you know, I don't know. They just kind of, not so much out of place, but I was just like, why are these people here? And then it kind of got me thinking, you know, if the white-faced man is a personification of death, then the other people can be too. And so when I thought about the personalities or what the other people were doing in the movie, I was like, they were all trying to get her to reason with her or to get her to do something they were trying to get her to stay to get her to go someplace with them trying to make her understand or make sense of what was going on like why she was seeing the white-faced man um the landlady tried to reassure mary that there was no white-faced man in the hallway that it was just her imagination because she was seeing the white-faced man in the the boarding house where she was staying at and when it came to so the the landlady also mentioned like this is just a figment of your imagination and then Mary herself was like you know in the daytime everything seems fine but in at night your um, your imagination sort of is you know running amok and the doctor that she talks to also mentions that, you know, hey, this white-faced man you're seeing, nobody else is seeing him, is probably just a figment of your imagination. And I'm like, they're all saying imagination. And I was like, this whole movie, this whole sequence of her leaving Kansas, going to Salt Lake City, it's all a figment of her imagination. It's like, she's not he's not really alive like none of this is real this is all of its of imagination everything so that kind of made me sort of help me solidify the fact that like it's all like none of it's really happening not like she's alive and experiencing it it's all her her soul her consciousness creating this whole this whole scenario the creepy neighbor wants to <laughs> so his whole thing he he wanted to go out on a date with her uh, he was trying to get her to go to his apartment so he could sleep with her um, he asked her why she's not like everybody else what's wrong with her etc um, etc so you know he's trying to, to reason with her in some way he's trying to get her to go somewhere he's trying to get her to do something the minister talks about her you know lacking soul like you know why is she playing this music you know why doesn't she want to meet the rest of the congregation trying to get her to go to this this little function that they have so that so that he can introduce the new organist of the church to the congregation but she didn't want to go so he's like you know why don't you want to go and meet these other people so it's all about these people trying to get her to go somewhere to get her to do something. And I was like, they all have this theme of wanting to sort of usher Mary to do something, to go somewhere, to sort of reason with her 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 imagination or her consciousness. And so I felt like that was part of her subconscious sort of or, or death some death in her subconscious, her own subconscious trying to get her to make this transition to go someplace to do something to make this other step but she keeps refusing and she keeps you know refusing not to go to to not believe what people are saying to not go on a date with this guy to not marry the people to not assimilate like everybody else and make the transition like everybody else is supposed to do she doesn't want to do that so it's like She's trying to refuse everything. And so death is sort of intervened and in trying to get her, I guess, sort of like trick her into making this transition. But she's still like, no, I don't I don't want to do that. She's kind of, I guess, behaving the way she would in regular life, trying to just live her life and not do this transition thing. But you've already heard about the ending of the movie. So death is just like, you're gonna go one way or the other 
the when I looked up information about the Grim Reaper, it said the Grim Reaper serves as the last ties between the soul and the body and to guide the deceased to the afterlife without having any control over when or how the victim dies. So at the end, if, you know, at the end, I was kind of, when I, when I very first watched this movie, I was really confused about the ending, but thinking about it more, you know, reading about just that little part about what the Grim Reaper represents and what he's supposed or what he or she is supposed to be. And that, you know, at the end of the movie, they didn't kill her, you know, when the, the ghouls chased her out of the the carnival onto the the dried up lake and she sort of falls on the ground they they um surround her and you know they're all over her and she's like screaming and panicking she's they didn't kill her you know because she was never alive to begin with so death the grim reaper doesn't have control over how or when someone dies they are just to transition them to guide them to the next process to the next step and so that just solidified the fact that you know the whole part of her surviving the accident like she was never alive to begin with because I mean if she is supposed to have you know, died and then getting brought back to the car. Like, no, because that's not, that's not what death does or, you know, the Grim Reaper does. The Grim Reaper just was trying to get you on the correct path that you're supposed to be on to make the transition. And even, you know, all these people are trying to get her to make the transition, but Mary, there are points in the film where even Mary starts to realize something is wrong and it's sort of where her consciousness is is reasoning with her to help her make sense of what's going on so I mentioned you know there were two episodes where she couldn't uh, where people couldn't hear or see her and she was freaking out she went to visit the doctor and she was talking to him Um, this is during like the fake dream. I call it the fake dream because the whole thing is a dream. You can't, I mean, I guess you have a dream, but it's not really a dream. It's just, you're dreaming, you're having a dream. So it's, anyway. (laughs) So during the fake dream, when she visits the doctor, she's talking and she's saying that the white faced man and the other ghouls are looking for her that she doesn't belong in the world anymore. Something separates her from everyone else. This being that she's already dead and she's separated from the living already. And so that's what I think the whole silent episodes where the sound goes out and people can't see her is that she's she's not among the living anymore. So if she was in her real life, you know, she thinks she's alive and that's what she thinks is going on, but it's it's a reminder is that she is separated from the living and she's not among the living. That's why they can't hear or see her. During this fake dream when she's talking to the doctor, she also says that the white faced man and the other ghouls are trying to take her back trying to take her back somewhere. Now she says this with confusion because she doesn't know where they're trying to take her back to. She thinks, you know, she's drawn to this carnival. Um, she thinks they're trying to take her back to the carnival. There's something about the carnival. Like, I can't, I, I can't figure out where the carnival fits in. Like, I don't think the carnival, I mean, the, the carnival was just like a creepy element to put in there, like to make it interesting. But I don't think it is symbolic in the whole theme of death and rebirth and the afterlife and transition. I think it was sort of like a ploy. Like I said, it was something that might have been familiar to Mary. But the place that I think, that I believe they're trying to take her back to is to the river where the car accident was. To take her back to the car 
back where that accident happened. And then from that point, she would make the, you know, from that point, she'd make the transition to the afterlife. So I, she's drawn to this carnival. She thinks that they're something in the carnival. I don't know. I'm, Cause it's just, it's the one thing that seems kind of odd, you know, I'm trying to make everything fit into my, in my theory and the carnival kind of stands out. So I think, I think it was just like a creepy element to have into the, to add into the movie. But I think that her, okay. So now that I'm thinking about, okay, I would say that the, the carnival is like a transition point. Cause I'm looking at my notes and I just. I'm reading the last paragraph in this section. And so if the carnival is like a transition point, it's like a stop on her route to get her to where she needs to go because her trip to the carnival was her finally, was her sort of finally accepting the fact that she was indeed dead and needed to go there to meet the white-faced man which is death. And then the death was going to take her back to the scene of an accident where she actually died and then then proceed to transition with her on into the afterlife. So I think it was like a pit stop, kind of. You know, because she was heading out to Kansas City and she saw the abandoned, the old abandoned carnival on the way to Salt Lake City. She should have stopped there before she even got to the boarding house, to the church where she was going to play. She was supposed to have stopped at when she first saw the carnival. Because if she would have, the ghouls would have gotten her and then immediately taken her back to Kansas and into the car and then into the afterlife so she was she was still running because she was freaked out because there was a point in the car where she was driving past the carnival or on the road to you know Kansas I'm not Kansas Salt Lake City and she saw the um she saw the white-faced man in the reflection of her car window she ends up crashing a car and she flees and she she ends up, you know, getting unstuck and just driving on to Salt Lake City where she was planning to go. But she she wasn't supposed to go. She was supposed to stop and stop off, get drawn to this carnival because she was running she was running from death, not wanting to make this transition, you know, in confusion. But that carnival was sort of like um a distraction. She was, she should have stopped and then gone back on the path. So it did serve the purpose now that I'm thinking about it. So the final, the final paragraph is just other symbols and other things that I thought were um, really cre- creepy. And I, I don't know if this is just me or other people think this as well, but Okay, so she is a professional organist. She mentions that she went she went to school and she studied music and how to play the organ. So that's what she does. When she was in Kansas City, she played the organ for a church. And then when she leaves Kansas City to Salt Lake City, she gets into the job playing for the organ for a church. Okay, I don't understand how... I mean, because I like the piano. I like the sound of the piano. I don't understand how organ music can be so moving and soul stirring to me. Like I don't I don't I just it's just it's just it's creepy to me. It's not it's not moving or it's just really creepy for me. So the whole time whenever I hear the organ cuz the organ is part of the musical score and so even when she's not playing the organ, you hear the organ at different points in the movie. So it's just so creepy. And for me, I associate organs with funerals. It's like, it's funeral music to me. It makes me think of, you know, Haunted Mansion, funerals. It's just really, it's just really creepy to me. Like, 
what is that Prince song? Um, is it When Doves Cry? Oh my God. It's one of Prince's songs. <laughs> anyway, I can't find it. I can't think what it is. But it's a Prince song and the opening is it's like an Orient music. And it's 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 out it, it and even that it kinda reminds me I mean I know it's a Prince song, but it it just it always it throws me off a little bit because I'm like, oh, that sounds, it just sounds kind of creepy. And, and also, like I said, it's part, it's, it's part of the, the film score. And there's a scene where she's, when she's first traveling to Salt Lake City and she's tuning the knob on her radio in her car. And then every station she goes to is playing creepy organ music. You you definitely know that something is going on if you you know the character is in a car driving somewhere and they go to turn to every station and every station is the same music and it's all creepy um, organ music like so and and so I I it made me think that you know back to what I said about Mary's subconscious constructing this dreamscape with familiar things to her so it's not so odd that this dreamscape is playing the music that she plays because that's so familiar for her so that's the end of this episode don't forget to follow me on spotify um you can just search for me Juncture Podcast and you'll see my logo or you can search for Juncture Podcast on other podcast platforms and you can also find me on Twitter at Juncture Podcast all one word for those interested in dream interpretation you can have your dream analyzed on one of my podcast episodes on my Twitter page at Juncture Podcast there's a link to a form that you can, where you can submit your dream, you'll find it pinned to the top of my Twitter page. You can remain anonymous if you want to. So please head over to Juncture Podcast on Twitter and fill out the form or share the link. See y'all next time.